So let's plow in and get started. How do you talk to your own relatives about spiritual things? Now, notice how I start. There is undoubtedly no greater burden on earth than to realize that individuals who are part of your family on earth may not become part of your family in heaven. But how do you go about speaking to relatives about spiritual things, specifically the gospel of Jesus Christ? I was born and raised on a dairy farm in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And Dad said if you work hard all year, when November comes, you can have the whole month off to go hunting. And I am one avid hunter. I looked at the deer, the squirrels, the trees, and I thought there's got to be a God. But designed to me meant presence. He would not make it, then leave it. So where is he? What rock is he under? What trees is he hiding behind? I decided to study the Bible. And God brought me to Christ from my own Bible study. God took me from the creation, the creator, to Christ. And one night I knelt on my bed as a teenager. Said, God, the best I know how. I'm trusting Christ alone to save me. That night I trusted Christ. Heaven and hell broke loose in our house. Heaven because I knew I was going there. By hell, because now we're a religious fanatic. Because in our home, if you talk about God and religion and church, that's fine. If you talk about Christ being saved, you're a religious fanatic. After 27 years of praying, my own folks assured me their trust was in Christ alone as their only way to heaven. Unfortunately, it took a tragedy in our house turning the situation around because my brother died of a massive heart attack at 46 years old. His wife died five years before he did of a blood clot. And so three beautiful girls lost their father and mother in five years. They were 13, 12, and 8 when she died, 18, 17, 13 when our brother died. And for that reason, but, but because of that, God used that whole situation, turned my situation around. How many families do you know that three girls lost their mother and dad in five years? It happened in the life of Larry Moyer. As a result of that, they started to listen to me like they never had before. And after 27 years of praying, they assured me their trust was in Christ alone as their only way to heaven. Now, in my case, my mother may have come to Christ in an assembly of God camp meeting when she was small. Dad may come to Christ back in 1912 when his denominational church was preaching the gospel. But regardless, after 27 years of praying, they assured me their trust was in Christ alone as their only way to heaven. So I know what it's like to wake up in a nightmare. Your dad just died and went to hell because I lived there for 27 years. And I understand the burden. And for that reason, what I want to talk about are the three don'ts and the five do's. Now, starting with the three don'ts, I want to start with where most of us make a mistake. And that is number one. Don't be intimidated by the past. Don't be intimidated by the past. Now, what I mean by that is two things. A, no one knows you like your relatives. Look at what it says. They have seen and know your past, your selfishness, fits of anger, unkind attitude, addiction to drugs, and a host of other things. I am one of those individuals that had a unique distinction of being a twin. And every time I say that, people want to ask, are you identical? And the answer is no. She had longer hair. But I have a twin sister. And one day my mother was asked, if you had to do over again, would you still have twins? She said, yes, but I wouldn't have the same two. But frankly, they know you like nobody else knows you. Now, two, bear in mind that you must forgive yourself. Personalize Psalm 103 by trial by saying, 
as far as the east is from the west, as far as he removed my transgression from me. Now, why is that important? B, Satan is a master of intimidation. He loves Satan. What right do you have to talk to anyone? Remember when you used to? One of my problems right before I came to Christ was I had one fierce temper. I remember the day my mother said to me, you got to be careful because that's the thing that makes people murder somebody. And I lived in fear that one day out of a fit of anger, I could kill somebody. When I came to Christ, God took that all away and just told me how to take one day at a time and not get ticked off when life did not go my way. But when I thought, listening to my folks, I thought, what if they bring that up? They never, ever did. All Satan was trying to do is intimidate me. And the fact is, they're not likely to bring up the past. If they do, that becomes a bridge to the gospel. You know what they say? Please forgive me. But because of who I used to be, I wish someone would have explained to me sooner what I would now like to explain to you. Don't be intimidated by the past. Okay, do num don't number two. Don't take God's responsibility on your shoulders. Number two, don't take God's responsibility on your shoulders. Don't take God's responsibility on your shoulders. Now, A, Christ recognized the fact his message was a divisive issue. Now, look at that paragraph. Do not think I've come to bring peace on earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. If I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and man foes shall be those of his own what? His own household. You know why? Because it's the one issue in which your relatives have to take a stand. No one has said it better than Billy Graham. No decision is a decision. And so it's the one area they have to take a stand. They don't have to take a stand on how they feel about Donald Trump. They don't have to stand and take a stand on how they feel about Joe Biden. When it comes to Christ, no decision is a decision. And that's why it's such a divisive issue, because it's the one issue you've got to take a stand. Now, B, he also recognized that in order for your relatives to come to Christ, he had to bring them. Now, would you do me a favor? Read out loud with me that next verse in John 6, 44, all together. No one can come to me unless the what? Father who sent me draws him. And the fact is, may I say something so loud, nobody misses it. God's not asking anybody here, bring your relatives to Christ. You cannot do that. And your shoulders are not big enough. God's only saying, bring Christ to your relatives, because only he can bring your relatives to Christ. No one can come to me, that's the Father sent me draws him. And God's not saying, bring your relatives to Christ. God's saying, bring Christ to your relatives. Okay, see, now why is that important? See, concern leads to prayer. Concern leads to prayer. Anxiety, because they've not come to Christ, or guilt, because you've not brought them to Christ, always leads to one of three things. Here they are. Discouragement, frustration, or anger. Discouragement, frustration, or anger. Discouragement, frustration, or anger. In other words, discouragement. Why can't they see it? How stupid can they be? <laughs> frustration. I bet you I never talk to them again. Anger. Well, if they want to go to hell, they're just going to have to go to hell. And the fact is, it will always lead to one of those three things. Discouragement, frustration, or anger. Concern leads to prayer. 
But anxiety caused they did not come to Christ. We did not bring them. All would lead to one of those three things. And for that reason, don't take God's responsibility on your shoulders. Every time I teach this material, people say to me, thanks for reminding me, God is not expecting me to bring relatives to Christ, only to bring Christ my relatives. God is not expecting anybody here to bring a family member to Christ. That is God's responsibility. You cannot do that. You can only bring Christ to your relatives. Okay, now with that in mind, number three, don't receive God's forgiveness. I refuse to extend yours. Number three, don't receive God's forgiveness. Refuse to extend yours. Now, look at that next verse. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also might consider doing. Is that what it says? So you also might think about the possibility. No. So you also must do. Must do. Look at what it says. A. God needs your obedience, not your opinion. God needs your obedience, not your opinion. Don't receive God's forgiveness and refuse to extend yours. So many times we have come to Christ out of so many bad backgrounds. Drug addiction, alcoholism, sexual abuse. That's not the problem. The problem is God forgives us, but then we can't forgive them. And may I say something as your brother in Christ? If you are here tonight and you're holding anything against any family member because of something in the past, don't you dare go to bed tonight before you get down on your knees and get that right before God. Because if they don't see your forgiveness, how are they going to see his? Because they've got to see his forgiveness through seeing yours. And for that reason, don't receive God's forgiveness, refuse to extend yours. Now, those are the three don'ts. Let's review the three don'ts before we go any further. Number one, don't be intimidated by the what? Past. Don't be intimidated by the past. Number two, don't take what? God's responsibility on your shoulders. And number three, don't receive what? God's forgiveness and refuse to extend yours. Okay, now with that in mind, what are the five do's? Here we go. Number one, pray for them and get several other people to commit to do the same. Pray for them and get several others to commit to do the same. Pray for them and get others to do the same. Now, what do you pray for? A bare minimum of four things. Here they are. Number one, laborers. Laborers. Somebody to speak the message. Number one, laborers. Somebody to speak the message. Now, look at the next verse. The harvest truly is great, but laborers are few. Therefore, pray, Lord of harvest, send out laborers in this harvest. Now, here's the point I'm making. A, ask God to send someone in addition to you. Ask God to send someone in addition to you. Now, please notice I did not say, ask God to send someone instead of you. <laughs> That's a genuine first-class cop-out. <laughs> in addition to you. It's no secret to anyone who spends the time of evangelism I do. It usually takes somebody outside the family. For 27 years, God did not answer my prayers. When the time was right, he sent a pastor along, and God used his voice in addition to mine to bring him to Christ. Usually, always, it takes someone outside the family. I led a woman to Christ in Indiana, and the first thing she said to me was, I don't know why I could not listen to my own daughter. She's been telling me this for years. I said, you want to know why I listened to me instead of her? She said, yeah, Larry, why? I said, because I'm not a son. He could take it from me. He just couldn't take it from her. 
And the fact is, it usually takes somebody outside the family. And you probably say, Larry, I don't know of anyone they know who's a Christian. Now hold everything. Jesus Christ has not left the throne. He could bring somebody by their path tomorrow. You had no idea he was going to bring part of the path. One time on a flight, I let a construction worker to Christ, and I still have the letter. A couple weeks later, I got a letter from his fiance that says, I'm a new Christian. I've talked to my fiance several times. Sometimes he opened, sometimes he wasn't. On a flight from Philadelphia to Dallas, you led my fiance to Christ. I'm looking forward to a God-centered marriage. She had no idea God was going to put Larry Morey right alongside of his path, right alongside of his seat. And God could bring someone across their path tomorrow you had no idea about. As God sends someone in addition to you. Okay, two, opportunity. Two, opportunity. Two, opportunity. Look at that verse there. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God will open to us a door for the word. As I said earlier today, God does not expect you to open the door. God expects you to walk through it. He's got to open it, then you can walk through it. And so you have to pray for opportunity because in order to evangelize them, God has to provide an open ear and an open heart. I was speaking in Tulsa, and a man was visiting his sister, whom he had not seen for over 20 years. She said, all I ask is this. We have an evangelist coming to our church. He's not helped our damnation. I'll kind of turn you off. All I ask is you come here him one time. He came on Sunday, and on Monday, he trusted Christ. He then said, I cannot wait to be back to California. There's a church back there that's been praying for me for over 20 years that I come to Christ. I cannot wait to get back and tell them to stop praying. <laughs> and the point is, you pray for opportunity. Okay, three, boldness. Number three, boldness. Number three, boldness. Acts 4.29. Lord, now look on their threats and grant your service that all boldness they may speak your word. The one who has needs to share the gospel needs the courage to overtake fear instead of fear to take courage. You pray for boldness. And by the way, you know what's exciting about praying for boldness, even in your own witness? You can pray for boldness the same time you're walking up to a lost person to talk with them because God hears whispers of the heart. I tell people, evangelism talking to two people at the same time. I talk to God from my heart. I talk to them with my mouth. And I'm praying, God, give me boldness. And God hears the whispers of the heart. I love the story of the mother who said to her son, now son, go upstairs and go to bed. Don't forget to say your prayers. All of a sudden, she heard her son yell, and dear God, give me a bicycle. She went up to his door. She said, son, God is not hard of hearing. He said, I know, but grandma is. <laughs> and the fact is, you speak to God, ask him for boldness. Okay, now, number four, salvation. Number four, salvation. I exhort prayers and intercessions, and give me thanks made for all men. Pray for others and pray for your non-Christian family members by name. As I traveled for 27 years, so burdened about mom and dad, people said, you've helped me. What can I do for you? I said, if you would just pray for my mom and dad, that's all I ask. So when they came to that point of assuring me their trust was in Christ, I had so many letters to write. In fact, one couple I forgot. I was in their community some time ago, and they said, by the way, Larry, we're still praying for your folks. Has anything happened? I said, yes, something happened. And you have the other pray for family members by name. Now, those are the four things you pray for. 
Labor's opportunity, boldness, and salvation. Now, again, as I keep saying, I don't want you to have this stuff here. I want you to have it here and here. So what are the four things? There are labors, opportunity, boldness, salvation. What are they? Labors, opportunity, boldness, salvation. What are they? Labors, opportunity, boldness, salvation. Now, you people are so sneaky. I saw what you were doing. Labors, opportunity, boldness, salvation. That's called cheating. God calls it sin. Without looking at your notes. What are the four things? They are labors, opportunity, boldness, salvation. What are they? Labors, opportunity, boldness, salvation. Okay, now B, increase your faith. B, increase your faith. B, increase your faith. It's important to pray. It's essential to pray in faith. Think of other harder cases, humanly speaking, God's brought to Christ. Then say, if God can save them, he can save my relatives. Nowhere in the Bible does God ever promise to answer prayer. Nowhere. What he promises to answer is a prayer of faith. And therefore, it does no good to pray if you don't expect him to answer. And I would never lie to anybody. And I would be lying to you if I stood up here tonight and told you I never had any doubts about my folks. There are times I struggled with that. And when I did, I thought of other people God brought to Christ. I thought if he can save them, he can save my folks. One time we had a woman come to Christ in an outreach. She was in Satan worship, homosexuality, adultery, and on drugs. Just those four. Satan worship, adultery, homosexuality, and on drugs. I said, what did I say that convinced you need to come to Christ? She said, Larry, I did everything I could to avoid listening to you. I started by counting all the panels of wood that were behind you. Then I went to counting your teeth. So I remember two things. You said, I don't care what you've done. God loves you. Then you gave an illustration of one person dying for another. I knew God would speak to me, and she's a growing Christian today. I thought my folks, I said, God, if you can save that woman, you can save my relatives. You think of other harder cases God brought to Christ. Say, if God can save them, he can save my relatives. But the point is, pray for them. What are the four things you pray for? They are laborers. Opportunity, boldness, salvation. Okay, number two. Second do. Be prepared to speak to them. Be prepared to speak to them. Because God might also want to use you. Now, what do I mean by be prepared? Four things. Be clear on the biblical message. Number one, be, number A, be clear on the biblical message. Now, drop down two paragraphs for what to say. Simply put, the gospel is, Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Simply put, the gospel is, Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. As you've heard me say this weekend, the Bible is six, six books. The gospel is ten words. What are those ten words? Same together. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. I have met people that tell their relatives everything but Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And at this point, that's the one thing they need to hear. I have never recovered from the woman who one time said to me in Indiana, I go about vengeance a lot the same way you do. Only thing I don't tell people is that Christ died on the rose. That's probably important, isn't it? <laughs> I thought, important, that's the message. If you leave that out, you've left out the gospel. Okay, B, be clear on the meaning of saving faith. Be clear on the meaning of saving faith. 
Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes me has everlasting life. The one book written to you how to receive eternal life was the Gospel of John. Ninety-eight times it says, believe. Look what is next. The meaning of saving faith is trust in Christ alone to save you. The meaning of saving faith is trust in Christ alone to save you. The meaning of saving faith is trust in Christ alone to save you. I'm always delighted when I can drive an engagement like this because my dear wife Tammy doesn't have a chance to go with me much because two can drive for the price of one, but you can't apply for it. I apply most places I go. But whenever I do apply and she's with me, I love to have fun with her. Because I do more flying than she does, so it scares her more than she does. It scares me. So as we're going down the runway, I love to say to her, for some reason, this plane's not taking off the way all the others have. <laughs> and when we get to 30,000 feet, but see, that was any kind of bump. I say, in all my years of flying, honey, I've never heard that before. <laughs> now you know how to pray for her. <laughs> but there's one thing all those who fly know. You're not trusting a plane. Planes don't get me anywhere. What are you trusting? A pilot. You're trusting a person. Salvation trusting a person, Jesus Christ. Not your church attendance, not your baptism, not your good life, not Christ plus, but Christ period. If you're not clear in the gospel and saving faith, you cannot make it clear to anybody else. Okay, C, be clear on the biblical issue. C, be clear on the biblical issue. Be clear on the biblical issue. In John 11, 25 and 26, it says, I am the resurrection of life. He who believes me, though he may die, he'll live. He who lives and believes shall never die. Do you believe this? The question, therefore, have for your relatives is, have you come to a point in your life that you know, beyond any doubt, you die, you go to Christian. You go to heaven. A person wrote to me one time and said, suppose I say to my relatives, are you a Christian? They say, yes. What I do? I got word back to them as fast as I could. Don't you dare ask that question. Because if you say, are you a Christian? They say, yes. Where do you go? If you go any further, it looks like you're disputing their word. Instead, you say, had you come to put in your life that you know, beyond any doubt, if you're to die, you go to heaven. Because even those who claim to be Christians will often not admit to that. And that is the issue. And therefore, be current a biblical issue. Do you know beyond any doubt, if you're to die, you go to heaven. So you can die, live as a person prepared to die, then die as a person prepared to live. I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes me, though he's dead, he'll live. Whoever lives and believes shall never die. Okay, now D. Have a way to communicate the gospel that is both clear and concise. Have a way to communicate the gospel that is both clear and concise. Have a way to communicate the gospel that is clear and concise. In Acts 14, obvious. They knew how to talk to somebody about Christ. Now, that's why I taught you this little booklet, the Bad News, Good News Approach. The biggest thing Evangelist has done, how people reach their relatives, it teaches them the Bad News, Good News. I stayed in a home in Iowa, like I'd been with Dale and Nancy, and they said, by the way, we never told you why we wanted to keep you. I said, why is that? They said, we learned your Bad News, Good News Approach, and we went out to Colorado, and we led our son-in-law to Christ. And he's a growing Christian today. If you don't have a method, you won't talk to anybody, including your relatives. And, but any relative can identify bad news, good news. A man called our office some time ago. He said, please tell Larry, as a result of the bad news, good news, I just led my uncle to Christ. And you've got to have a method. 
Because if you don't have a method, you won't talk to anybody, especially your own relatives. And for that reason, be prepared to speak to them. Be clear in the message. Be clear in saving faith. Be clear in the biblical issue. And then how we communicate the gospel that is both clear and concise. Now, with that in mind, we're going to take a short break, and here's why. One of the things I get criticized for everywhere I go is you only talk about evangelism. You didn't talk about evangel. The reason is Pastor Bob did not bring me to talk about evangel. He taught, brought me to talk about evangelism. At the same time, I'm very touched by what people want to know about our ministry, and we would deeply appreciate your prayers. God has done awesome things in our 49 years. Next year will be our 50th anniversary. Here in four minutes is Evangel. So you know how to pray for me. Then once that, I'll say a word about the sheet you got, and then I'll go on. But here in four minutes is Evangel. The seed of Evantel was planted in 1973. That's when God called Larry Moyer, a young seminary student who took 2 Timothy 4 or 5 to heart. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. He felt called to start an evangelistic ministry deeply committed to the clarity of the gospel and the careful handling of scripture. Decades later, Evantel exists to encourage and equip individuals, churches, and ministries to fulfill the Great Commission and reach the world with the clear and simple good news of Jesus Christ. Believers are impacting their neighbors, co-workers, classmates, and communities, those who live in the same vicinity but are different, forgotten, overlooked, or unintentionally excluded, as well as people of different nations, tribes, and tongues. Evantel now has an ongoing presence in 25 countries and resources in more than 60 languages. To ensure that more people hear the gospel in more places every day, we provide training to equip, tools and strategies to reach, and resources to inspire and encourage. The Evantel team has facilitated more than 40 million gospel presentations since its beginning, and our goal is 80 million by our 50th anniversary in 2023. Evantel multiplies these efforts by training others to share the gospel. With more than 800,000 in-person and online evangelistic training since we began, we help individuals and churches to confidently and clearly share the gospel with whomever they encounter. Our goal is to hit 1.5 million evangelism trainings by 2023, increasing the reach of the gospel exponentially. Our print and online resources, as well as other creative tools, Help Christians spread the good news, train others in evangelism, and follow up with new believers. Despite the great progress that's been made since 1973, we can clearly see that sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world is still the unfinished task. Today, there are nearly 5 billion non-Christians worldwide. Of those, 2.1 billion have never heard the gospel from anyone. Let that sink in. These statistics have eternal consequences. Jesus' last words of instruction on earth should be one of our top priorities until He returns. We should invest our lives and our resources to make disciples while we go about our daily activities and as we move throughout the world. Currently, an average of three people hear the gospel every minute because of the work the Lord did through Evantel. Our goal is to exponentially increase that number. We will not stop until the task is finished. Partnerships are a key part of our ministry strategy. We work alongside other organizations, churches, and ministries to share the gospel. And we serve alongside committed individuals who financially support our ministry. 
Through your gifts and your commitment to living out the Great Commission, lives can be changed for eternity. Now you know how to pray for us. Now with that in mind, take this item called Evangelism Resources and tear off the bottom part and look at what it says. Evangelist Toolbox. We have a publication called The Toolbox, sent out free, two times a year, to encourage you in evangelism. People have said, Larry, I don't care what you change, don't you ever stop sending The Toolbox. Because I read it the day I get it. But to get it, we need to have your name and address. So tear off that bottom section and give us your name and address. Please print carefully so we can read it. Now, go over to email. Choose what kind of updates you would like to receive. Prior to COVID-19, we hired a full-time digital director. And for that reason, our social media presence is exploding. And we, we decided to use social media to encourage people in evangelism. Now look at the last one, uh, second last one. Pause and ponder. Monthly evangelism encouragement from Dr. Larry Moyer. Once a month, in less than 100 words, I send an email to encourage you in evangelism. It might be how to turn a conversation, how to overcome discouragement, how to answer objections, but once a month, I send an email called Pause and Ponder to out encourage you to manage them. Tell us which of these emails you want, and then print your email. Now, you know as well as I do, one digit wrong, the email won't go. So please print very carefully. But first of all, the toolbox, we need to have your name and address, then the email, tell us which of those you want to get, and put a check by the ones you want, designed to encourage you to manage them. Tear off that bottom section. Now, keep the top part because that helps you to know where to go on our website, all that kind of stuff. But tear off the bottom section very carefully, pass it to the aisle. Then at the end of our time together, I'll have someone come by and collect those. But so that we can continue to help you have an ongoing presence in your life in evangelism. Tell us what you'd like to get. The toolbox, we need your name and address. Email, tell us which of these you want. Give us your email address. Pass them to the center aisle, and then a little bit later, I'll have somebody come and collect them. We would definitely appreciate your prayers. People say to me, how can I pray for you? I tell them three things. Safety, health, and spiritual fruit. Pray for safety because I do a lot of traveling. Pray for health because it's important to any ministry, especially when you're traveling. And pray for spiritual fruit. We've asked God to do something of such a magnitude only he can explain it. So he gets all the credit. And God done something to tell only he can explain. And we're looking forward next year, our 50th anniversary, and would appreciate your prayers for us. But tear that off, send it to the aisle, and then we'll collect those. Okay, now, back to your handout. What is the third do? We talked about number one, the first do. We talked about that, the second do. Be prepared to speak to them. Third do. Consider a letter. Consider a letter. Consider a letter. Now, I don't care if they're across the street or across the country. Consider a letter. Look at A. Our born witness is not your only way to evangelize him. What's the advantage of a letter? Unlike a conversation goes in one ear and out the other. They read it and reread it and reread it and reread it and reread it, even though they may never tell you they got it. Now, let me make a point that if you think they're listening to an email quicker than a letter, then use an email. But at the same time, use the thing that they're less likely to delete. In other words, sometimes you're doing an email, they just press delete. If I had a person say to me, if I sent a letter, They'd read it because I never send them letters. So if they got a letter, they thought, what in the world is this? 
Use the thing they're most likely to read. But my point is, consider some way other than a verbal witness. Because your verbal witness is not the only way. It might be a letter, they're so effective. Or it might be an email. But consider what's most effective. As I traveled with such a burden for my folks, I saw those who saw relatives come to Christ. I said, how'd you do it? Somebody said, rewrote a letter, rewrote a letter, rewrote a letter. And my own mother told me those letters played a part because unlike a conversation, goes in one out of the other, they read it and then they reread it. And they thought, Larry is really burdened. Larry's concerned about us. Gets her a letter. Now, I'm not talking about any old letter. This is a very special letter. It's got four parts. Here they are. The four C's of an effective letter. They are one. Confess anything in the veal needs to be confessed. Confess anything you need. Veals need to be confessed. Now, I'm not talking about hanging out your dirty laundry. But if there's something standing between you, get it out on the table, get rid of it. It's just not worth it. If there's something standing between you that happened years ago, get it out on the table, get rid of it. It's not worth it. Okay, two, compliment them for what they meant to you. Compliment them for what they meant to you. Compliment them for what they meant to you. The worst relative has something to compliment. Even if you have to compliment them for being the worst relative. <laughs> the worst relative has something to compliment. I said to my dad, I hope I can be as good a dad to David as you've been to me. Because dad was a good dad. He taught me hard work. Taught me integrity. He taught me how to hunt. And I said, I hope I can be as good a dad to David as you've been to me. Compliment what they meant to you. Did they always remember your birthday? Did they pay for your schooling? Did they take you on a vacation you still remember to this day? Compliment what they meant to you. Okay, three, express your concern for them. Express your concern for them. You say, what does all that mean if we're not together in heaven? Express your concern for them. And four, talk about the cross. Talk about the cross. In other words, lay out the plan of salvation as though you're there face to face. You don't say, please read the enclosed booklet. You know what they do? Put a book aside and read your letter. You put this booklet in your own words. This is not a one-page letter. This is a ten-page letter. It's not a one-hour letter. It's a one-evening letter. You take a whole evening to write this letter. One time I wrote that kind of letter to my folks, and I called them and I said, Dad, you get my letter? He said, yes, I did. I said, do you feel like it helped? He said, well, it didn't do any harm. But my own mother confessed. Those letters played a part. I went up to World of Life in New York to speak. A woman came up to me who the previous year was on my, in my class. Now she was on staff at World of Life. And she said, you know how you said we not write a letter? I wrote a letter to my brother. I said, I've got nothing to lose. You've got everything to gain. I've got nothing to lose because you already think I'm a religious fanatic, so I have nothing to lose. You have everything to gain because you trust Christ will be together in heaven. And she said, Larry, I'm still trying to recover. But my brother called me last week and said, Sis, I just came to Christ. Thank you for your letter. I could keep here all night with those kind of stories. A man called our office some time ago. He said, please tell Larry I resolved my letter and my niece just came to Christ. And I wrote that letter five years ago, and she's moved three times. Every time she picked up the letter and read it, picked up the letter and read it, picked up the letter and read it, and she just called me and said, you know the letter you wrote me five years ago? I just came to Christ. And they're so effective. 
but point is, consider a letter. Now, again, how long would you have this here, but here and here? What are the four parts of a good letter? They are confess, covenant, concern, cross. What are they again? Confess, covenant, concern, cross. Okay, now number two. Number four. Fourth do, four. Recognize the balance needed between confrontation and tact. Recognize the balance needed between confrontation and tact. Recognize the balance needed between confrontation and tact. Now, what I mean by that is, there are those who don't know what T-A-C-T means. They've never practiced it. They can't pronounce it. They have no idea what T-A-C-T means. Then there are some people so tactful, they never attack. <laughs> and they never confront. There's a real balance between the two. Look at what I have next, A. As God provides the opportunity, it must be asked, is there anything keeping you from trusting Christ right now? Not only were we concerned about my folks' salvation, but my wife's mother's salvation. And she went beaten with the Lord two years ago at the age of 100 years and seven months. She went to be with the Lord. But one day, she's up visiting with us, and she said to my wife, sometimes I don't know for sure if I'm saved. And my dear wife looked at her mom and said, Mom, anything keeps you from trusting Christ tonight? And if she never trusted Christ before, she did that night. And there's time you have to be asked, is there anything keeping you from trusting Christ right now? Okay, B. There are times, however, you need to back off for a limited period of time. There are times you have to back off for a limited period of time. People say to me, are there ever times you just have to back off? The answer is yes. There are times you just plain have to back off. But look what's next. But, B-U-T, two things. One, don't back off in your prayers. Intensify your prayers. Asking God to send what? An additional witness. You guys are great. An additional witness. They can keep you from talking. They can't keep you from praying. So you say, God, send an additional witness to take off where you, to take up where you left off. And two, this really surprises people because they've never thought of it. Be certain they can tell you how to come to Christ, even if they're not interested in the moment. That way, even if being on their deathbed with one moment to live, they can place their trust in Christ as Savior. There are people I think are going to be surprised to see in heaven because what you never knew, as they sipped in the coma, they said, Jesus, save me. And just like the thief on the cross, God welcomed them into his paradise. It's called grace. And I've talked to cultists. I've talked to agnostics. I've talked to atheists. I said, look, I know you don't buy a word I'm saying. I respect that. But could I ask one thing? Suppose you did. Based on what I told you, what would you have to do to get to heaven? Based on what I told you, what do you have to do to get to heaven? I want, them to hear, I want to hear them say, you have to recognize Christ was the Son of God. He died for the cross. You have to trust in Him. Now, why do I do that? Because if 10 years from now, they're in some kind of car accident, they have five minutes to live, right there they can trust Christ. And besides that, there are some people that are not what they say they are. A board member of ours had a friend of his who was told he had cancer. Always said he was an atheist. My board member, by name of Blair, walked into his hospital room and said, 
would you like to know beyond any doubt you're going to heaven? He said, I sure would, had he trusted Christ. That guy was no more of an atheist than anybody here. All he did was say was, get people off his back. I've got a dear brother in Houston that was talking to one of his clients. And clients said, don't talk to me about Christ. My dad beat up my mom and my dad beat up us kids. I don't want anything to do with Christ. So my board member looked at him and said, so in other words, God beat up your mom. God beat you up. He said, well, no. He said, that's what you said. Don't talk to me about Christ. Because my dad beat up my mom, my dad beat up us kids, so apparently God did the beating. He said, oh, no, I wouldn't say that. And my board member looked at him and said, would you love to know beyond any doubt if you're to go to heaven? He said, I sure would. And he trusted Christ. And people are not always what, you say, what they say they are. And that's why I'd be sure they can tell you how to come to Christ if they're not ready at the moment. Okay, now, fifth do, fifth do. Recognize that your actions reinforce your words. 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 Now, what do we mean by that? A, the witness of the lips, accompanied by the witness of the life, is powerful. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2. Your witnesses of God also, how devoutly and justly and blamefully we behave ourselves among you believe. 1 Peter 3, 1 says, The wives unsaved husbands, be submissive to your own husbands, even if they do not obey the word, Without a word, they be won by the behavior of their wives. I tell wives with unsaved husbands, those who won't read a written epistle have to look at a living epistle to be a living epistle for Jesus because your actions reinforce your words. Okay, now B, the big life item at Communication on Christians is, anyone know what it is? The big life item at Communication on Christians is, Anyone want to guess what it is? What's the big life item in communication with Christians? No? No? No, what? No? What's the big life item in communication with Christians? As soon as I say it, you're saying, oh, yeah. What's the big life item in communication with Christians? No? 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 consistency, consistency. You're the same Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. As I travel, as some of you did this weekend, people, since I live in Dallas, say to me, are you a Dallas Cowboy fan? And my answer is, yes, I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. Because you can't live in Dallas and not be a Cowboy fan. You can die there for not being one, but you cannot live there and not be one. But as you know, years ago, the highly respected Tom Landry would let go of the Dallas Cowboys in a very unright way, the way he should never have been. But Dallas Magazine, Texas Magazine, Dallas paper, had a full-page article, full page. And what it said was the thing that impressed us about Tom Landry is that guy was consistent. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, he made no bones about it. God first, family second. Football third. And he did it every single day. Consistency is what communicates. Now, I know what you're thinking. But, Larry, I've not always been consistent. I've not always lived the life I should. Look what follows. See, when you do fail, recognize that honesty is the best what? 
Honesty is best policy. When you do fail recognize, honesty is best policy. In other words, you say, that's an area I'm working on. And forgive me, I want to improve in that area. Can I say something to encourage you? I've been in it for 49 years. Non-Christians are not turned off by Christians who fail. They're turned off by Christians who deceive. It's one thing to fail. It's another thing to come across like you never do. They're not turned off by believers who fail. They're turned off by believers who deceive. When you fail, you say, please forgive me. I really need to work in that area. I'm not as patient, whatever, as I need to be, whatever you need to say. Because they're not turned off by people who fail. Unsaved are not expected to be perfect. They are expected to be honest. So honesty is best policy. Now, with that in mind, those are the five do's. Let's repeat the five do's together, can we? First of all, do number one, pray for them. What's the four things you pray for? They are labors, opportunity, boldness, and salvation. Okay, two, be prepared to speak to them. What's the message in ten words? Christ died for sins and rose from dead. What's saving faith mean? Trust in Christ alone. Okay, three, consider a what? Letter. What are the four parts of a good letter? They are confess, compliment, concern, cross. Okay, four, recognize the balance needed between what? Confrontation and tact. And five, recognize that your what? Actions reinforce your words. Now, whatever you do, don't miss what I have in bold print at the bottom. Could you say it together with me there at the bottom? All together. God has never met a person his heart did not love or his arms could not reach. Ask God to help you do your part as he does his. Say it again. God has never met a person his heart did not love or his arms did not reach. Ask God to help him do your part as he does his. So many times I have people like you say, I cannot see so-and-so ever come to Christ. Are you ready? Years ago, somebody said that same thing about you. <laughs> and if God get through your stubbornness, he can certainly get through theirs. Because God not met a person, his heart did not love, or his arm did not reach. Now, I have something to say in closing that I hope you don't forget. But before I do, we've covered a lot of stuff. First of all, could I ask you to pass those forms to the aisle if you want the toolbox, the email? And would one of you be kind enough to collect those for me? Just pass them the aisle. Why don't you be kind enough to collect those for me? Just pass them the aisle and we'll collect them. Okay, any question before I say one thing in closing? You guys have been great. I have thoroughly enjoyed the chance to be with you. Please know, you can feel free to email me, whatever. I give my life to evangelism full time as ever. I have no desire to retire, cut back, because having too much exciting time. It's a great day to reach the lost. And if there's ever a day you need to reach out to your friends, it's today. As I told the leaders today at noon, cancer, COVID, and chaos is why unbelievers are so open. Cancer, COVID, and chaos is why they're so approachable. Because most people come to Christ amidst insecurity, worry, fear, etc. So today is a great day for the gospel. One of our contributors called me two weeks ago and said, Larry, you need to know something. That a 96-year-old man we've been trying to reach for years just came to Christ through, may I ask you a question? We've talked to him for years. He said, I'm not interested. Another person came along who knew your same method, the bad news, good news. 
And the man said to the Christians, I've always said I'm not interested in spiritual things. That has changed. I now am. Will you explain it to me? Then through the May Ask a Question booklet, that 96-year-old man came to Christ and two days later went to be with the Lord. 96 years old. Today's a great day for evangelism. By any question you have before I say one thing in closing, any questions? Oh, yes. I tell people very transparently that there's no one who steps on any platform any more grateful to God than I do. Because I was born with an inherited speech defect, inherited from my dad's side of the family. That was so severe, I could not pronounce T-H-E, the. Speech therapists call it an articulation disorder where the tongue has no idea where to go for certain sounds. And for that reason, high school was hell on earth. Because kids would wait for me to go off the bus. Say, Larry, say the. Say swimming. Say thermometer. And for that reason, I couldn't wait to get home. Because dairy cows don't laugh at you. And I could not wait to get home. When I came to Christ, all I wanted to do was be an evangelist. That's all I wanted to do. And a medical doctor said to me, you might as well give that up. He said, you could never do that with your problem. I left that doctor's office. If a truck had hit me walking down the stairs of the office, I'd have been delighted. I thought my life's over. Sitting in high school with my head in my hand so nobody could see I was crying. I said, God, if you will help me with this inherited defect, I'll always use my voice for you. Starting that week, I started having control I'd never had in my entire life. And that was the year of speech therapy brought me to where I am today. And that's why I tell people, I don't care what your problem is, everybody of us, all of us, have something you got to deal with. It might be mental, physical, spiritual, social, everybody has something you got to deal with. Are you going to be a victim or a victor? I think God's called to be victors, not victims. And so whatever your problem is, overcome it. Don't let it overcome you. And God could help me with my problem. He can help you with yours. God has a tremendous sense of humor. A doctor told me, you'll never be able to be a public speaker. I've now spoken in every state, over 60 foreign locations. God has a tremendous sense of humor. <laughs> and for that reason, overcome it. Don't let it overcome you. Okay, one thing in closing. Saying everything I've said, obviously I'll be here if you have any questions, but one thing in closing. Having said everything I've said, I've got a confession to make. I am not concerned that you talk to your relatives. I am not concerned you talk to your relatives. I am not concerned you talk to your relatives. I'm concerned you talk to anybody anywhere. Because those who talk to anybody are the best at speaking to special people. Because there's things you've got to learn by experience. And those who talk to anybody are the ones that are best at talking to their own relatives. And with that in mind, I spoke in Oklahoma City, and a pastor told me that a man in his church had his teenage son come up to me and say to him, say to his dad, what do I have to do to avoid the mistakes you've made in your life? Now, can you imagine a teenage son that has the nerve <laughs> to come up to his dad and say, what do I have to do to avoid the mistakes you've made in your life? 
and the son is now living today. <laughs> the father said three things. First of all, spend more time with your family. I wish I spent more time with you. Secondly, take more risk financially. I wish I would have not been as conservative. You ready for the third one? Talk to more people about Jesus. Because what I regret in life is I did not talk to more people about Jesus. For that reason, there's a poem we often use. I did not write it, but I'll often repeat it. Because what we desire for every Christian, it goes like this. When I stand in the heavenly kingdom and saints around me appear, I hope somebody comes up and says, you're the one that invited me here. When I stand in the heavenly kingdom and saints around me appear, I hope somebody comes up and says, you're the one that invited me here. Let's say it together. When I stand in the heavenly kingdom and saints around me appear, I hope somebody comes up and says, you're the one that invited me here. Again, when I stand in the heavenly kingdom and saints around me appear, I hope somebody comes up and says, you're the one that invited me here. May I beg you, witness to anybody and everybody, and when you stand in the heavenly city and saints around you appear, somebody's going to come up and say, you're the one that invited me here. And wouldn't it be exciting if that someone was a member of your family on earth that is now part of your family in heaven? So having enjoyed them here, you can now enjoy them forever. All God's people ought to say, Amen. Pastor?